Well, hey, y'all. How are we doing? I want to start today with a question. What is the hardest thing about church? I would argue that the hardest thing about church is church. That the biggest threat to the body of believers is the body of believers. Especially in this country, these United States, where we as Christians are not facing any real significant persecution and and bodily harm. The hardest thing about being a Christian is being with Christians. The number one tool that the devil uses against us is us. It is hard to be community. When I wrote that, I felt like the word hard didn't quite capture what I was trying to communicate. Like it didn't really capture how I feel when I have to work with people who are wired differently than I am, when I have to offer forgiveness or accept forgiveness, when I have to be gracious, when I don't get my way, when I'm not in charge. I found that the word hard didn't communicate how I feel. So I opened the thesaurus and I was trying to find a word that was better and I felt like the thesaurus came up short. So forgive me for being a little undignified, but what I'm trying to say is it's odd to be community. You understand what I'm saying? Stresses me out. It's hard to be community, at least in the, in the way that the word community at its core denotes with a Latin prefix of con, which means together, And then the word munis, which means performing services together and is often a shorthand reference for shared power. So then to be community is to do services together and to share power. And as somebody who's a bit of a control freak, like the fact that this lectern is one centimeter off center, (laughs) I find myself often struggling with doing services and sharing power with others. And I'm going to take a wild guess here, and I'm going to assume that I'm not by myself, that as nice as you look at church today, that I'm not the only one, that you may be like me and find yourself simultaneously repulsed and attracted to community. We long for the life-affirming benefits that community can offer, but we find ourselves resistant to the demands that community make, or rather the demands that Jesus makes for us to participate wholeheartedly, full-throated and from our bellies with the entirety of our beings in community and make no mistake, it is a demand. The requirement of loving Jesus is loving people. Listen, if we haven't met before, my name is Judah. I'm one of the pastors here. My favorite part of my job is hanging out with the young adults. Young adults, make some noise. If you are between the ages of 18 and 25 and we have not connected, meet us in the lobby right after the service. We want to connect with you, exchange some information, get a Jamba Juice scheduled, and get you roped into our family. That is my shameless plug for BYA. Today we are in part four of our year-long series through the book of Acts called The Empowered Church. 
Here at Bridgeway 2023 is our year of power, and it's all about us discerning as a family how God gets stuff done and what he gives us to get that stuff done. So we're talking about the power to impact, the power to heal, the power to set free, the power to restore, the power to prophesy, the power to minister, the power to be nice. I'm real excited for that one for some of y'all. We're talking about our supernatural reality that allows us to do what Jesus wants us to do. If you're like me, when you hear words, words pull up images in your mind. And when I hear the word power, certain images come up in my mind. For me, see, I'm an avid fan of the comic book series X-Men. You see, X-Men was before the Avengers. I say the X-Men ran so that the the Avengers could fly. But the X-Men was a comic book series about these people whose genes had mutated so far ahead of everybody else's that they developed these superhero powers. And so they could blast lightning beams through their eyes and they could walk through walls. And because genes are unique to each person, each of these mutants, their, their powers were unique to them. And so there was a, a scale of power. And the most powerful mutants were called omega-level mutants. And these were folks who could shift the tectonic plates in the earth and folks who could call down thunder and hail from the sky. And when I hear the word power, this is what I picture. I confess that the word power does not bring up an image of people sitting around a table and having dinner together. That's not exactly what I think of when I think about power. But that is exactly the image that the author of the text we're exploring today paints. He seems to be saying that there is something about community done well that unlocks and gives access to supernatural, miracle-inducing, life-changing, ground-breaking power. Dropkick somebody sitting next to you and say to them, togetherness is the only way forward. Well, congratulations, ladies and gentlemen. You have just unlocked the mystery of the fill in the blank. If you happen to have the bulletin, if you're taking notes, if you're following along with us online, your fill in the blank is this. Togetherness is the only way forward. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. It's in the second half of your Bible. There's an English standard version that's underneath the seat in front of you that you are welcome to use. Acts chapter 2. We're just going to look at about five verses today, just about five verses. After an intense week of negotiations, Kidsway and I have inked a contract where if I finish preaching early, they give me access to their top tier level snacks. So I will not be before you very long. I think they did a Costco run recently, so I'm Not going to hold you very long. I just want to look at some of these verses and I'll get you out of here. Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin at verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I'm going to stop right there because that verse really, really captures like everything that I want to talk about today. And as somebody who... Like, I love words. I love words. I was really struck that the author of this text used the word devoted. It is the Greek word proskatero. And it describes being steadfast, unyielding, persistent. And he uses this word devoted to describe 
the, the, the followers of Jesus, their commitment to the teachings of the apostles. Now that makes sense to me, right? Because what that means is that they were devoted to studying scripture and they were devoted to understanding Jesus and they were devoted to aligning themselves morally and ethically with the teachings of Jesus. This makes sense to me. They were devoted to uprightness, to what we in the church call holiness. The author says they were devoted to it. But then without even taking a breath, the author says that they were also and equally devoted to the fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. It means contributory help to participation, sharing and doing life together. Somebody say togetherness. togetherness. And the breaking of bread. We aren't 100% certain if Luke is talking about them like literally eating a meal together or if he's talking about doing communion together. But either way, what we see is that Luke says that this community of Christ, this first Christian church, thought that believers being together, sharing together, doing life together was as important and critical and valuable to their Christianity as their moral right living. He suggests that doing life together is moral right living, that it's a huge part of it. And I, I have never heard anyone preach that before. I have never heard anyone preach that, that being together as a Christian family, that, that doing life together, doing community well is as important as your morals and your ethics and your values and your integrity and your purity. And I certainly have never heard anybody preach it with the same passion and zeal and sometimes aggression that we preach moral right living with, right? Somebody say, keep that same energy. This is the thesis of verse 42. Let's keep going. Verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were, here's our buzzword, together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, don't you worry. I'm not here today to ask you to sell all your stuff and give the money to the church. I see some of y'all immediately got nervous. Take a deep breath and stay with me. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There is so much here, but I want to give you some context. Peter, one of Jesus' primary students, has just preached this powerful, powerful sermon under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and many get saved. Some estimate about 3,000 people got saved. Getting saved is the word that we use in the church to describe when somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus, to be with Jesus, and to let Jesus transform their life. So when people make that decision, we say they got saved. And about 3,000 people get saved after Peter preaches, and the text tells us that their immediate next step was to become a community. So what should I do then, Judah, after I give my life to Jesus? Get you some Jesus-loving friends. That's your next step. Get you some Jesus-loving friends. Yes, I want you to, to read your Bible more. Yes, I want you to pray more. Yes, I want you to discontinue the behaviors that you know are inconsistent with what God has called you to be. But your immediate next step is to get you some Jesus-loving friends. 
This community that we're reading about in the book of Acts, they had this, this central element of doing life together. They studied together, they ate together, they prayed together, they worked together and built together and cried together. They did many things together. And I want the Western church and most especially Bridgeway to discontinue doing church and start doing life together. What I want us to see is that this communal life of the church It doesn't exist separately from the Spirit's prophetic work. It exists as a constituent piece of the Spirit's witness about a resurrected Jesus. People saw this way of doing life together and it evangelized them. That means it won them to Jesus. And it did this because, I don't know if you know this, but um, people like really suck at doing community together. We're just not really good at it. Like it's, it's not where we score high on our strengths finder test. You understand what I'm saying? Especially, especially if there is diversity in the community. I remember my first year working here, I told somebody I celebrate Kwanzaa, which is a cultural holiday that celebrates black history in America. And they organized the whole little petition and tried to get me fired. They said, he celebrates pagan holidays. I said, pagan? This has escalated quickly. So what we know is that like we don't do super well with community, especially when there's diversity in it. But what I have learned is that even when there's a lot of similarity, a lot of sameness, we still don't do well with community. I remember I went to South Africa. I had been invited to preach at a church in, in Durban, South Africa. And I walk into this church and, and there are all of these black South Africans in the church and the leaders of the church came and said, Pastor, we're so excited to show you. Look how diverse our church is. I said... Tell me more. <laughs> he said, well, those three men are Zulu and the rest of us are Tlaza. And then he began telling me about this, this feud between these cousin tribes, the Zulu and the Tlaza. And he, he said that when the Zulu people first came into the church, that there was a lot of tension and a lot of conflict and a lot of, a lot of issues. And he said it took them a while to become a community. And I realized right then and there that like, even when there's a lot of sameness and a lot of similarity, historically, people do not do well with community. And that's no excuse for us because the Spirit of God empowers us to do community well. And when people who don't know Jesus see a community functioning well, being healthy, especially when there's diversity in it, it causes them to be curious about who is this Jesus that is the binding, that is the glue, that is, that is holding this community together. And because of this, and because Bridgeway is a church that is, it's diverse in thought, and we're working on the other areas, right? We got about 4,000 members. You can ask any ideological question, you get about 4,000 answers. Because of that, we have a responsibility to do community on purpose and to do it well because it evangelizes people. And what we know is that community done well is only possible through the Spirit of God. It's only possible through God. I don't care how nice you think you are. It is only possible through the Spirit of God. Look at verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You know that was the Holy Spirit. I'm going to sell all my stuff? No, Lord. I might sell some of it. That Xbox is going to stay put, though. The Lord told me to keep that. Sell not thine own Xbox, my son. I heard him say it in the Spirit. Some of y'all don't hear from God. That's why you don't know. (laughs) 
What we see in the text is that the Spirit of God empowers us to centralize others. The Spirit empowers us to say, I am not at the center. I am not the main character in the story. I am not the main person in this room. I'm not the most important person in this space. Jesus is. And if Jesus is the most important person in the room, then what matters to Jesus has to then matter to me. And so therefore, you matter to me because you matter to Jesus. I don't have to like you. You matter to me because you matter to Jesus. And what I have found is that when you prioritize the right things, the right things become a priority. That sounds redundant. It's because it is, but I'll say it differently for you. When you prioritize the right things, the wrong things stop being as important. And this community in the book of Acts, they prioritized their relationships. Now, if you are an Enneagram 2, 6, or 9, you can take a little nap. We're not talking to you in this part because you are already a master at this. You are really good at this. But the rest of us, we've got to learn to start prioritizing our relationships in this community. And not just prioritizing the relationships that we have, but building and making new relationships in this community. Listen, I know when you wake up on Sunday morning that you come to church prepared to worship. I stand at the back. I see you with your hands lifted and tears in your eyes. I know you come prepared to worship. I know that when you wake up on Sunday, you come prepared to learn, prepared to hear the word, prepared to study. You come with your Bibles and your notebooks and the deep saints come with, with maps and concordances and dictionaries and commentaries and lectionaries and everything else. I know you come to learn. I know that you come, I know that you come to give, right? We raised $15,000 for Gigi's Playhouse, an organization that is not under our umbrella, but just because we believe in what they're doing, right? So I know you come prepared to give. I know you come prepared to serve. Some of you come and you're serving in the cafe and as a greeter and backstage. But what if we, what if we came and said, I come prepared to invest in and build in and deepen the relationships that I have in the church? What if you said, I come here with the intention of going further and deeper with somebody in this church. How would that transform your experience here? And how would that transform our experience of church? And what we see is that the more this church invested in and prioritized their relationships, the more things like money and possessions and physical resources fell to the periphery of their lives. When you prioritize the right things, the right things become a priority. When you prioritize the right things, the wrong things become less important. And for this specific community, what was important was that suddenly they had this influx of 3,000 new believers, most of whom were not from Jerusalem, but had decided to stay in Jerusalem because there was community there. They had been converted and they wanted to stay in the community of Jesus. The issue was most of them didn't have jobs in Jerusalem. And so the church had to share resources. They had to share money if they were going to survive. And what I have learned is that when you invest in knowing each other, it makes sharing with each other a lot less hard. Now, I want to be really clear about something, lest somebody send me an email after this. I am not here promoting that our church start experimenting with communism and socialism, okay? The Christians that did life like this, they did it because it was necessary. They did it 
and it was voluntary, it was temporary, and it also, it wasn't without flaws, right? So I want to be clear that I don't think this specific text example of selling all your stuff and living together is a prescriptive text. That means it's not a text that's telling us what to do today. It is a descriptive text, meaning that it is telling us what happened, and now it is up to us under the influence of the Holy Spirit to figure out what does it look like to operate under the principle of community today in our context in deep, sacrificial, and authentic ways. What does that look like for us today? In South Africa, there is a principle of life. It is called Ubuntu. And Ubuntu means I am because you are. You are because I am. And it describes this idea of recognizing that we are intimately and intricately connected and linked to every person in our community. It means that nothing that happens to you, I can be divorced from. That what happens to you, what impacts you, what you experience, that it matters to me because we are tied together. And I believe that Ubuntu is the principle that we see playing out in the Acts Church. It's actually a a quite common principle, often in communities of color and especially in communities in the East. In the Swahili language, it is the word ujima, which means collective works and responsibility. In the Arabic language, it is the word samar, which deals with to preserve community. And what you and I will always have to step over in order to get to this principle is that we are, we're from the United States which is a wealthy country. And so Ubuntu is not essential to our physical survival. Most people could get away with, and many of us have gotten away with, building these isolated, solitary, invulnerable, unintimate, echo chamber lives. And it hasn't had any real impact on our physical well-being but I would suggest that it is slaughtering our spirituality. That way of being, of choosing to be disconnected, it is slaughtering our spirituality. And I think that it is a real barrier to the church that God wants to build. Do you know that Jesus, being God himself, who didn't need anybody, still spent the majority of his ministry and his life investing in his relationships. And so yes, the people in the book of Acts had to share money and houses and possessions to survive. The question for us is what do we have to share in order to survive? I don't have all the answers. There are two things that I think are a good place to start though. I think in order to survive, the church is going to have to share its pain and it's joy. We have to start with those two things, sharing our pain and sharing our joy. I will share pain with you, believer. I'm not going to let you hurt by yourself. I may not have the answers for you. I may not have the solutions, but I will climb down into the well and sit in the drudge and in the muck and the mire with you until you are ready to climb out. I'm not going to let you hurt by yourself. I remember when I first started working at Bridgeway, uh, I had met Pastor, wi- met Pastor Lance's wife twice. Met her twice, did not remember what she looked like. And I remember one weekend I was at the church and I had, a, I, had a bad, I had a bad week. And this lady comes up to me. I was like hiding in the lobby because I didn't want to be bothered with nobody. I tried to like find a little corner. And this lady comes up to me and she goes, hey, how you doing? 
And she said it in a way that let me know that we had met before, but I could not remember. I was combing my mind. Who is this? Hey, God bless you. (laughs) And she said, how you doing? And she said it in a way that let me know that she was genuinely asking me how I was doing. You know, sometimes how you doing ain't a question. It's a statement. It's a statement to which the customary response is, I'm, I see some of you understand. She said, how you doing? And for a moment, I thought about just responding with the customary response, just saying fine. Because one, I don't, I don't know who this lady is, and, I don't, and she came to church, and I shouldn't throw all my woes on her, and I don't know if I want to be that intimate and that vulnerable with this lady. And I, but I thought about just saying fine. But then I thought to myself, you know what? No, I'm going to open up because before I'm a pastor in this church, I'm a member in this church. And the same way that somebody could come to me and say, hey, I want to tell you what's going on, she opened herself up to me, so I decided I was going to tell her. So I got to telling her and whimpering and blubbering and all the stuff. And she just listened just with, with, with tons of, of empathy, just, mmm, wow. And about halfway through, she goes, wow, Lance didn't tell me that. I stopped me across that Lance who? Susie Hahn modeled for me Ubuntu, a sharing. I will share with you. And I would argue that that gift of sharing is the most valuable thing that you could bring to this church. I would argue that the gift of sharing space with somebody is more valuable than what the the check you put in the offering basket. It is critical to us. I will share I will share my my pain, and I will also, listen, I will share my joy with you. I will share in the things that make you excited, in the things that get you happy, in the things that that bless you. Listen, I will be your biggest cheerleader. You can call me, listen, if you need to call somebody because you're excited about something and you need somebody to be excited with you, call me. I'm your guy. I will be excited with you. I don't care what it is. You can call me, Judah, I scrambled three eggs today. I said, you did? Shut your mouth. You scrambled three of them by yourself. Boy, I knew you had it in you. You look like an egg scrambling man. I knew you could do it. What you put in them? Salt and pepper? Boy, we taking over the, the food network now. I knew you had it in you. I will be excited with you. I will share joy with you. I will share the things that make my life joyful. My nephew was born yesterday evening. I got off the stage and my mama said, come. I said, oh God, baby was eight pounds, one ounce. I said, apologize to your mama's uterus, sir. I will share with you. And I will share other things. I will share my testimony. I will share what the Lord has done. I will share solicited wisdom and advice. I will, I will share information. I will share time. And yes, I will also share resources. If I have resources, I will share them. Listen, I want to bind in Jesus' name that hoarding spirit that tells us that when we give, we lose. It's a lie. Every culture on this planet understands the agricultural principle. What you put in the ground is the harvest that you will reap. We have got to share. And we cannot just do it within these four walls. Like it has to start here, but it cannot end here. Do you know how many pastors in this region have been mentored by Lanton? 
Do you know how many churches have a pastor that has been developed and sold into and blessed into by Bridgeway? Because we believe that we have to share. Listen, if the church is to survive, sharing is the requirement. And so what if every day when you woke up as a part of your morning litany, as a part of your, your morning prayer, you asked the Lord, you said, Lord, what do you want me to share today? How would that transform the world? And what we see here, y'all, is that knowing plus sharing is the formula for growing. This is the church growth model. It's not about getting the, the algorithm right on our promos on Instagram. It's about knowing and sharing. Look at verse 46. It says, and day by day, somebody say it's a process. Attending the temple together, somebody say go to church. And breaking bread in their homes. This is about hospitality, y'all. Hospitality is a ministry. There's something just about being nice to folks. That's a ministry. They were breaking bread in their homes. This just means if you invite Judah over, you need to have some snacks, glory to God. Some <laughs> snacks. Don't invite me over. You ain't got no snacks. I can't come. <laughs> the text says they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I love the fact that gratitude and generosity are sisters. That when you're grateful, you tend to be giving. If you struggle with generosity, I would wager the bet, you probably struggle with gratitude. Start working on the gratitude. The generosity will come later. Verse 47, praising God, and watch this, having favor with all the people. What we see here is being community-centric tends to reduce conflict. How about that? I know that that goes against the American way of I, me, and my, but when we start thinking in plurals of we and us, it tends to reduce conflict. And the text says, and the Lord, who did it? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Listen, if we take care of each other, God will take care of growth. And this is why church isn't about having the most prolific speakers, although I will say our teaching bench is solid. Church isn't about having worship leaders with the prettiest voice, although I will say our worship team is solid. It's not about having the most spectacular Christmas service. Listen, our Christmas services were dope because we have dope people. We have dope people because we take care of our people. Togetherness is the only way forward. Now listen, it is important to acknowledge that Acts as a whole does not hold up this depiction of an all-consuming corporate life as the only way that the church existed, right? It existed in this way for a period of time, and it doesn't depict this way of living as easy or convenient, right? Like in a few chapters, we're going to see this community really struggle with the things that come with being a community. So I am not trying to suggest that community is this easy, perfect, problemless utopia where we just hold hands and sing kumbaya. I recognize that it is nuanced and layered and complicated, but I do believe that these verses represent 
the best of what God's people are capable of under the Holy Spirit. These verses are not about laying out a specific structure or set of rules for doing church. They're they're indicating that the reign of a resurrected Lord Jesus gives us the power to do community well. And it is critical that we get this, not just for us, not just for our own church growth, but because remember this church exists as an extension of Lord Jesus's commitment to bring salvation to the the world. And in our year of power, before we can start talking about prophecy, before we can start calling down angels, we've got to master community. I am interested in the Holy Spirit teaching us to hold our tongues before teaching us to speak in tongues. I'm interested in him giving us hands to hug before he gives us hands to heal. And don't misunderstand me, I am a raving charismatic. I try to keep it under control so I don't scare y'all, but I am a raving charismatic. And what that means is that I want to see people get delivered from alcoholism and I wanna see, uh, I wanna see uh, wholeness restored in people. I want to see cancer flee. I I, I want to see sight given back. But I also am equally invested in seeing people get delivered from prejudice. I am equally invested in seeing friendships restored. I am equally invested in seeing families build relationships with other families. I want to be a church where people show up for each other. And no matter who you are or what you got going on, you can come here and find that somebody's going to show up for you. That is what I am. That is what I am interested in. And be clear, there are going to be moments of real frustration in our attempts to build a community that's an authentic expression of the gospel. And be clear, our best efforts are still going to remain flawed expressions of that gospel, but it is an empowering thing to realize that we are not left up to our own devices. The ministry of God's reign that Jesus inaugurated with his life, experienced with his, his death and secured with his resurrection, That reign is not something that is merely a thing of the past or some distant hope for the future, but it is something that is accessible to us now. Sometimes it is barely perceptible, but it is accessible to us now. This is what it looks like to be a community that operates in the spirit. A community that operates the way God, God's self operates because God operates as father, son, and spirit. Boy, that sounds like a community to me. A father that respects the son, that respects the spirit, that respects a father who loves the son, who loves the spirit, who loves the father. We see distinction but oneness, diversity but still unity, responsibility with mutuality, variation, but there's still wholeness, sharing but equity, equity but trust, trust but honor, honor with submission, submission but with power the power of common unity. So here's your assignment. 
and I can't follow up with you to make sure you do it. I can't follow you around to make sure that you, that you do it, but I'm asking you, and yes, this includes you, shy people and introverts. Before you leave campus today, before those of you who are watching online log off the broadcast today, I'm asking you to introduce yourself to somebody that you don't know. To introduce yourself to somebody that you don't know. And I know, look, look, look at the introverts and shy people already planning their escape. If we go out the side door, put your hood on, go underneath the chairs, we should have parked in the back. I told you that when we got here. I know it's difficult. Do it anyway. Introduce yourself to somebody. Do it in groups if you need to. Maybe your family goes and finds a family that you don't know and introduce yourself to them. And listen, I will give you things to talk about. Tell them your name. They'll pull it up on the screen. Tell them your name. Tell them where you're from. Tell them what you enjoy. What do you enjoy? I like riding roller coasters. That's my thing. What do you enjoy? Tell them what brought you to church today. Maybe it was that cinnamon roll they sell up over at the cafe. It has gotten me to church many a Sunday. I don't care what your answer is. But introduce yourself to somebody. Before you leave today, you online, do it in the comments. And I know, listen, I know that, that introductions seldom go deep seldom get profound, their introductions, their, their surface level, I get that. So think of them as a spark. And if everybody does it, that's a lot of sparks all across this building. You'd be surprised at how a lot of sparks can set a building ablaze with the power of community, with the power of family. And I just believe that becoming an authentic family around Jesus, I believe it to be the precursor, the prologue, the prelude, the overture, the tilling of the ground for the miracles, signs, and wonders that we long for. So you know what your assignment is. God is watching. (laughs) Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Father, pour out a communal anointing in this space. Empower us and equip us to do community well, to do it genuinely and authentically, to be able to show up for each other, to be able to have difficult conversations, to wrestle over things, but still come out on the other side saying, you get on my nerves, but I love you. Father, I pray that you would make this a house of friendship a house where there's trust and support and mutuality. Make us a family. We all do share the same blood. It's your blood. Praise your name, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would help us to live into that, to the fullness of our potential, that we would wring ourselves out trying to be with and for one another. We'll need your help in this, Lord. So we ask for it. In Jesus' name, amen.